ladies, it's Brittany Brazel. The Lord has given me a passion for motherhood and homemaking. From that passion, a ministry has birthed no higher calling. There is no higher calling on my life than to be wife to Simeon and mama to my littles. I still have so much to learn, but as I continue to grow, it is my desire to share the truths God is teaching me. ladies. Welcome back to another episode of the No Higher Calling podcast. This episode is actually going to be part two or the second one in our Respectable Sins Bible study that we are doing through the podcast this year. Um, So I'm, I don't know if excited is the right word to dig into this episode. This, what I'm going to share in this episode was so convicting to me. As I was reading through the book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges, um, I share that that's kind of the catalyst that led to this Bible study. Um, so, so much of what I'm sharing through this podcast outlet really came out of me reading this book and then that turning me to scripture and then that overhauling some areas of my life. Um, So the podcast is kind of the culmination of all of that together. And so in the first episode that I did in our Respectable Sins Bible study last month, I talked really about our sin problem and the solution. So it covered, it laid the foundation, I guess is what I'm trying to say, for where we will spring from in this Bible study. This is the transitional point where from here on out, we are going to look at very specific what we would might consider these respectable sins, these sins that we tend to glaze over, gloss over, and act like, oh, they're not as bad as this, or they're not as such a big deal as, it's okay if I have these little things in my life. I can manage these. I can control these because I'm not out committing whatever. Um All sin is an affront against God. All sin is an attack on the character of God. And all sin makes us fall short of the glory of God. Um, Now, I am speaking, you know, I shared a lot in that first episode about the remedy for sin. Jesus Christ dying on the cross and salvation. From here on out, as we talk about these sins, it's not so much in a salvation light. Um, I am really presenting this from a heart of a believer, of a Christian, of someone who has been saved. And I'm speaking to you kind of with the assumption that you are saved. Um, If you are not, or if God convicts you through this study, through anything, um, that is the first thing to take care of. And if I'm the one you want to reach out and talk to more about that, I would love nothing more. Um, but really, as we launch into this, um, we're going to be talking about these sins in the heart of a believer, how that affects your heart, how that affects your relationship with God. And then as we as we dig into some of these things, realizing how much of a hold they have on our life that we might not have thought of, again, as we might classify these as respectable sins, um, how desperately they need completely rooted out of our hearts, out of our minds, out of our lives. And then as we teach our children or the next generation, we need to teach them how to not fall prey 
to some of these things that maybe Christendom as a whole has deemed as a lighter issue. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. The first one that we are going to look at is ungodliness. And I don't know what just went through your mind as you heard that or as you saw the title of today's podcast episode. Maybe you thought, you know, whew, I don't have to worry about this one. I'm not going to feel conviction. I don't struggle with ungodliness. Um, that's how I felt when I came to this chapter of the book. I was like, oh, yay, I get a free pass on the first chapter. I don't struggle with ungodliness because in my mind, ungodliness equaled wickedness. You know, when I think of a person who is ungodly, a person whose life would be characterized by ungodliness, I think of somebody who is just living for the world, living in sin, in complete rejection of Christ. Um, But as I really started digging into some of what the author had gleaned as he studied through ungodliness in the Bible, and then as I got into the Bible myself and looked at ungodliness, I was so convicted. Honestly, I think this sin convicted me more than many of the other sins that I might even had thought like, okay, yeah, I kind of struggle with that. Like the realization the depth of the realization of how much I struggle with this one thing caught me off guard and and really convicted me. So I'm going to share some of my personal journey as I've been working through this sin of ungodliness in my own life, what God has been showing me, how I want to change, and how I want to be able to teach my kids to recognize ungodliness and to flee from ungodliness in their own life. You know, back to equating this ungodliness with wickedness, you know, God actually draws a distinction between ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, unrighteousness is more where the wickedness and the rejection of God comes into play. But if we look at Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God makes a distinction here. Ungodly does not mean unrighteous. There are two separate things here. So, okay, if we look at unrighteousness and see this is more of, of a choice to make these sinful actions against God, Um, A life that is lived in unrighteousness is a life that is rejecting God's way, rejecting God's truth, and is turning towards self, towards sin, towards Satan, towards man's way. Um, What does ungodliness mean then? What, What definition would we give there? And this is what the author Jerry Bridges said in his book. He said, ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence upon God. So let me read a portion of that again. It's living one's everyday common life, routine, schedule, get up get dressed, do your thing, come home at the end of the day, start it all over again. Living everyday life with little or no thought of God, his will, his glory, or of our dependence on God. Now, when I read that, I didn't immediately identify myself as struggling with that. Um, you know, I thought I give regard to God throughout my day. You know, I I try to read my Bible. I try to pray. Um, I try to look for opportunities. You know, most of my 
encounters with other people are within the walls of my home at this stage of life. So with my children, I look for opportunities where God becomes a part of our day. But as I really got into thinking about this and praying for God to just illumine the light of his word on my own heart, I realized I struggle with ungodliness. There were so many areas where God showed me, I don't have any part here. Well, you haven't given me any part here. Um, Maybe you've given me a little bit of a part here, but I'm not preeminent in this area. I'm just tacked on at the end. Um, And and so that, that was very convicting for me. I want to challenge you again with the verse that I'm really just committing to my own memory, but that I'm also trying to encourage you. If you are going through this podcast, this podcast series of Respectable Sins as a Bible study in your life, I'm trying to encourage you ladies to memorize Psalm 119, 133, which says, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. So as we look at this area of ungodliness, as I unpack all that this held in my life, all the weight of this in my life, pray, pray now, pray after this podcast episode, pray as you study, God, order my steps in your word and let not any, any iniquity have dominion over me. God is an ungodliness. Search my heart. Know my heart. Create in me a clean heart. If there's any wicked way in me, reveal that to me and help me to forsake it. So as we're praying that, as we're studying through this area of ungodliness, may, may, like maybe you're like me and you think, oh, this isn't an area that, you know, this isn't gossip or pride or discontentment or, you know, this this is an area I struggle with, but I would challenge you to pray, search me, oh God, show me if this is something that has rooted itself in my heart that I haven't even realized. And that's what God did for me. You know, and as we read the Bible, it doesn't take very much reading, especially in the New Testament, to realize and recognize how much we fall short of living out God's standard of holiness, of of godliness. And I think that is so important. So, okay, let me break this down. What did this look like in my life? As I'm praying through this, as I'm thinking on this, because, you know, I, I wouldn't think of a good Christian wife mama as being someone who would be classified as ungodly, but as I studied, I realized that's not the case. So as I really started praying for God to show me some areas of my life where I had little or no regard for him or for his will or for his glory or for my dependence upon him, these are some areas that God pointed out to me. I asked myself the question, do I go hours without thinking of God, without praying? without acknowledging my dependence upon him. Um, The way our family is, the way we educate our kids, we homeschool, the curriculum choices that we've made, um, some of the routines that I've implemented, whether that's the books that I read or how I spend my time or how I don't spend my time. um, I felt like I might think about God quite a bit throughout the day, way more than I did in past seasons. Um, In prayer, I have tried to live in that constant state of prayer. Does that mean I'm always praying? No. But as God brings something to my mind, I'm trying to 
keep that conversation flow natural, not something that's like, oh, okay, God, you've got your 10 minutes. Let's have a chat. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow at this time. No, but just keeping it a natural flowing relationship. In those two areas, I have been working on those things in my life, but in the acknowledging my dependence on him, I think that's where it really kind of hit the nail on the head. Do I express my dependence upon the Lord? And if so, how? Um, do I go throughout my day with a self-sufficient attitude, with a this is what I have to conquer today, and if I work hard enough, I can do it. These are the people that I have to minister today to today, and if I can formulate the right words and say them in the right way, okay, check off encouraging people. This is what I have to do to minister to my husband, to my children today. Am I leaning on my own strength and depending on myself for this? Or am I constantly, God, this lady just reached out to me and I is asking for wisdom, is asking for direction. I am utterly dependent on you. I have no advice to offer outside of you and your word. Guide my heart to what your will is for me to say. With my kids, you know, somebody hits their sibling on the head. You know, do I respond to something out of me, out of my own dependence on myself? Or am I like, okay, it's been an exhausting day. That's not the first time that so-and-so has been walloped on the head. God help me, give me the patience, help me to get to the root of this, help me to address this with this child, to show them we don't hurt our siblings. But more importantly than that, our siblings are a gift that God's given us and we are to love them. Am I living out this dependence on God? And I realize so often I'm not. And again, it's not even this conscious, God, I don't need to be dependent on you because I am self-sufficient in and of myself. It's not like I'm making this blatant, ungodly choice, but the realization that ungodliness has crept into where it's so commonplace in my heart that I don't even recognize that it's happening. That is the dangerous spot, ladies, and that is where God just where God honed in on my heart as I dove into this, really this first respectable sin. Is has something become so commonplace in my life that I don't even see it as sin. I don't even see it as something that I need to forsake, something that is keeping my relationship and intimacy with God from being the greatest and the best relationship that it could be. Um, another thing I asked myself, do I make decisions without his wisdom, without seeking his will? You know, we make decisions all day long. And I think sometimes in the big decisions of life, we, you know, it's the Christian thing to do. You pray, you ask God. Um, But what about the small decisions? What about the day-to-day aspects of life? And it's been amazing to me, the more I've studied about the character of God, and the more that I've studied out God as our shepherd, God as our father, that in these characteristics, he desires to be so in tune to every single portion of my day. You know, some of these decisions I may think like, oh, well, this just isn't even a big enough deal to bother God with it. But he wants to be involved. My dad has never told me, I don't have time to hear about this. This isn't important enough for me to hear about that portion of your day. No, he listens. Whether 
it really interests him or not. Why? Because he's my dad. You know, I think about the shepherd. The shepherd cares about every little burr and parasite and concern that the sheep has. And, you know, the sheep is a stupid animal. It, you know, it, it, it can trip and fall in the same hole all day long. And yet here's the shepherd, you know, okay, that wasn't the right decision. Let me help get you up. Are you okay? All right, let me stand you back up. Here we go. And off goes the sheep again. But in these loving, tender relationships, it helps me realize God wants to be a part of every single decision that I make. No decision is too small for him to be involved. So then, okay, let's talk about the big decisions of our life. Am I the only one out there who has a big decision to make and who worries about it and gets all anxious about it? We're going to touch on some of touch on some of those things in the next respectable sin study or that just verbally hashes it over and over and over with my husband or a friend. And then I spend five minutes like, okay, God, this is a decision. This is what I want. This is what I really think is the best choice. Basically, I just kind of want your stamp of approval and we're going to go ahead and move on with all that I've worked out in my mind. Um, Am I the only one that has approached some big decisions that way? I would think not. You know, realizing just because you say a quick prayer of approval, that does not mean that we are showing God that, hey, in this decision, I am I am wanting to order myself according to godliness. I am wanting to show my dependence on you, on, your, on my need for your will in my life, your working in my life. Um, another one, do I speak as though Christ is not present? You know, Christ is just... As much a member of our home and our family as Simeon is, as my children are, as I am. But in my conversations, in my reactions, in my own mental thoughts, in the way that I order out my life in my home or beyond my home, whatever my life touches, it, do I live it as though Christ is just right there with me? He's present. Again, in that prayer communication, it, it flows naturally back and forth, easy to talk to. Do I speak to others with the awareness that Christ is present? I, I think if we did, if we thought that way and lived that way and had godliness rooted in our heart in that area, we wouldn't say some of the things that we do. We wouldn't use our tongue in some of the ways that we do. We would have a more guarded tongue because we are giving Christ his preeminence. We are living a godly life. We are depending upon him. We are giving thought and regard to him. And then another area was, do I plan for the future with little or no regard for God? And this kind of ties in with the decisions. But, you know, whether that's dreaming with Simeon and talking about what the future might hold, whether that's standing in the shower and formulating the next five or ten years of my life, maybe not everybody does that, but I tend to be a planner and way down the road, God has helped me so much in that area. Um but more and more over the past couple of years, Simeon and I have become very visionary. Um, we have big dreams. We have sometimes feeling feeling like seemingly insurmountable goals, things that we want to accomplish. And a lot of things, a lot of those things are things that we want to do for the Lord. But do I look at all of that 
And do I just work on that in my own mind, in my own heart? And okay, this is my plan. This is how I'm going to get accomplished. Or do I spread all that out on the table and say, God, let's, let's go through this together. Let's take your word. Let's see what lines up with your priorities, with the priorities that you've put into my life. And okay, maybe this is a service that I want to do for you or do for others, but it doesn't quite line up. It doesn't fit into the priorities you've given me. Maybe it takes away from something else that you have given me that is a higher priority. And in that area, these were just several questions that I feel like the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart as I prayed, Lord, do I struggle with ungodliness? Is this really a, a respectable sin that I have allowed, that I have set up as an idol in my heart? And as I began to pray, as I began to look into the mirror of God's word, I realized, yes, it was an idol that I had put in my heart. It was something that I needed to make choice over. I needed to choose to forsake it, to reject it, to turn from it, or I needed to choose that, no, I was comfortable how it was and I was going to keep it in my life and then suffer the consequences of what that would do to my relationship with the Lord. And, you know, I I don't want anything. I don't want nothing. You know, I think of the song, Nothing Between My Soul and the Savior. I don't want anything, especially something as, as trivial, something like this. I want God infused into my decision making, into my future, into my days, into my hours, into my thoughts and my speech. I want that. But am, am I doing the work that it requires for that to happen? Am I willing to, to make these changes? Am I willing to work through some of these things? You know, the Apostle Paul lived his life in a way he really desired to live in the presence of God for the pleasure of God. That is seen so much through his writings in the New Testament. Um, just a couple places, Colossians 1, 9 through 10. Paul writes, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 3.23, uh, he says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You know, in your home, in your workplace, wherever you are, do it for the Lord. Do it with this conscious awareness, involvement of the Lord, living that life infused with Christ where he is a part of everything. Um, I think about the verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all all to the glory of God. You know, hey, whether you are making dinner or doing the dishes or whatsoever ye do, are you giving thought to the glory of God? Are you giving thought to how your life brings God glory? Do you desire to bring God glory with your life? And if so, that will really change a lot of our perspective and how we serve others, how we use our life, how we give our life as an offering to the Lord. And you know, our decisions don't just affect us. Our decisions, the choices that we make, the choice that we make in this area specifically, am I going to choose to let myself live in ungodliness or am I going to choose to live a godly life? It affects us. It affects our children. It affects our grandchildren. It affects those who others who our lives touch. We've got to make our 
choices according to godliness. You know, if Satan can can get one member of the family, he affects everybody. If he can get one member of a church, it affects the whole church. Ladies, let's just determine, hey, ungodliness, if you... If you are a sin that is taking root, that is attempting to take root, an idol that I have placed in my heart, you don't belong here. I am rooting it out. And and I want to glorify God in all things. I want to point others to God in all things. The author writes in his book, um, in this chapter on ungodliness, that an even more telling indicator of our tendency towards ungodliness is our meager desire to develop an intimate relationship with God. And I think about, he's not saying that there's no desire. He just said there's a meager desire. And again, this convicts me. But let me ask you, what is your tendency? Do you have just a meager desire to development and develop an intimate relationship with God or maybe maybe you you do desire that but are you willing to do what it takes to have an intimate relationship with God you know i my husband and i don't have an intimate relationship just by default because we're husband and wife i think we all know plenty of marriages where that intimate relationship is missing just because you're cohabitants does not mean that there is an intimacy that there is a deep friendship and love much less a, a love in accordance with God's word so a relationship with Christ like that that intimacy that he so desires that we so desperately need takes work, takes investment, takes time, but it's all worth it. But if if that's an area where we're feeling like we're struggling, maybe ungodliness is the reason. Maybe that is something that you need to deal with in your heart. Maybe that's something I need to deal with in my own heart as I'm as I'm thinking about this. He the author goes on to say that for the godly person, God is the center and focal point of his or her life. Every circumstance and every activity of life, whether in the temporal or spiritual realm, is viewed through the lens of this God-centeredness. However, such a God-centeredness can be developed only in the context of an ever-growing, intimate relationship with him. Um, and... I, I spoke to that a little bit there, so I'll just leave that there, but that that is such a convicting thought to me. So as we think about this, as we think about this relationship, as we think about our desire to have Christ be woven into the very fabric of who we are and the life that we live. Um, I think about David's heart cry in Psalm 42, 1 and 2. He says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, as human beings, we can't survive very long without water. You go very long and you will start panting. You will get thirsty. All of a sudden, other things pale in the pursuit of that one life-giving thing. I must get water. Is that how we act with God? If we are living godly lives, if we are living lives where we give thought to him in every area, I think that's I think our hearts will pant after him because it will that the water of his word, the living water that Christ provides will be something that we are so desperate for for our very survival. 
that if we go very long without it, we it will take over our our desires. I cannot move forward. I cannot make this decision. I cannot be the mom I need to be. I cannot be the wife that I need to be until I get refreshed from that living water, from the water that he offered to the to the Samaritan woman in John 4. I must get that water. I pant after him. I need him. That intimate relationship, that utter dependence upon Christ. So let's make some application here. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, wow, I do struggle with this. This is something that I need to work through in my own life. What what do we need to do? So application for ourselves. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, um, he writes that we exercise, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And once again, Jerry Bridges writes, Our goal in the pursuit of godliness should be to grow more in our conscious awareness that every moment of our lives is lived in the presence of God, that we are responsible to Him and dependent upon Him. So how do we turn from ungodliness and turn to godliness? And I think there are several different things. First of all, as I'm thinking about this exercise thyself rather unto godliness, Exercise takes work. You know, I can't just turn on the exercise video and sit on the couch and then say, okay, well, (laughs) I watched the 20-minute video. I've exercised today. No, it takes work. It requires something of me. So exercising myself rather unto godliness requires something from me. I need to pray for wisdom. I need to pray for God to illumine in my heart the areas where I have let ungodliness creep in. And I need to address those. I need to face those things and to change them and forsake. You know, maybe you need to think through some of these areas of your life, hobbies, work, family, ministry, um, and, and ask yourself some of the same questions that I asked myself. Maybe your questions will be the same. Maybe the Holy Spirit will show you that your questions are a little different. But look at these different areas of life and be like, do I give regard to God in this, in my finances? Do I give regard to God in my marriage? Do I give regard to God in my friendships? Am I living in accordance with godliness in all of these areas. And then ask God to just make you more conscious of his presence in your life and live in that utter dependence upon him. One other thing I want to share under this personal application that God has been working on in my own heart as I've been teaching my children. So we are currently um, through our school memorizing Psalm 1. That's our scripture memory passage. And as I was teaching them this, even this first verse, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know, I've always thought of this, these, I've lumped together these ungodly man, you know, the sinner, the scornful, as just this wicked bunch of terrible people that are easy to spot and just avoid them. You know, but as I've been studying and looking into more of the depth of what does God mean when he says ungodly, And in light of all that I've shared to this point, coming back to Psalm 1 and thinking, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The Holy Spirit has really convicted my heart and challenged my heart with who do I allow to have my ear? And in turn, to have my mind and my heart. Who do I allow to give me counsel? Is it a person who lives 
with their life completely infused, completely dependent, completely consumed with Christ? Or do I get counsel from somebody who gives little or no regard to God? And again, that's harder to spot than the sinner and the scorner. Because this ungodliness is something that we can put on our Sunday best, put on a beautiful smile, and we can hide it. But it has been something that I've really been thinking and praying through. Lord, help me to be very careful who I allow allow to have counsel in my life, who I allow to influence my life. May I be spiritually discerning enough to be able to recognize if someone in my life would not be giving me counsel that is rooted in godliness. And then the flip side of the coin is, Lord, you've given me people to minister to. You've given me hearts to speak into. Help me to not allow ungodliness to take root in my heart for many reasons, but for one specific reason, because I don't want to be the counsel of the ungodly. When women come to me, when my children come to me, when my husband come to me for counsel and advice and spiritual insight and wisdom, what I have to offer from my walk with Christ, I want to be rooted in godliness, rooted in a desire to glorify him, rooted in a desire to to please him and my dependence on him, not of anything. Well, this is what I have to share or, well, this is my words of wisdom. No, that is ungodly. That is foolishness. Um, and so that's just been some practical application that I've made in my own heart and life. Okay, now let me transition that as a mama. How can I apply this as a mom? How can you apply this as a mom or as a grandma or as somebody who has influence on the next generation? Um, And I just think just to teach them the difference between godliness and ungodliness. And, you know, I think there are some great examples. God's given us these stories in the Bible that we can use to teach our children these things. You know, I'm thinking Joseph was a great example of godliness. No matter where that man was, no matter what his circumstances were, it was very clear through the way he patterned his life, through the way that he lived his life, that he gave much thought to God, whether he was in the darkest depths of the prison, whether he was in the midst of sexual temptation surrounded by no one but Potiphar's wife, or whether he was second on the throne in Egypt. You know, he gave God his rightful place. Other side, let's look at ungodliness, and Lot came to mind. You know, Lot made his decisions for himself that trickled down and affected his family in such a devastating way. You know, Lot Lot was a believer. Lot appeared to be a decent man, but he had ungodliness and in his heart. He did not give the regard to God that he deserved. He did not have Christ preeminent. And the trickle-down effect of the ungodliness that Lot allowed to take root into his life affected him, affected his wife, his daughters, and so many others. And And so I'm just thinking, as I'm teaching my kids, as I'm trying to teach them to recognize the difference between godliness and ungodliness, between ungodliness and unrighteousness. These are some examples. You know, even in the life of David, I can think we can see times where David was making, living his life godly, when he was making godly choices, when he was including God. Or we can clearly see times where David 
had let ungodliness come in. We see that in in his sin with Bathsheba. You know, I don't think he was regarding God in his rightful place when he fell into that sin. But using these examples and using, you know, using the story, using role play to explain to them, you know, this is this would be a godly choice. You know, here, okay, kids, come here. Let's all gather around. So this is a decision that we have to make as a family. This is something that we encounter in our day-to-day lives or whatever. Let's talk this through. What would be the godly path to making the right decision? Okay, now what would be the ungodly path to making the wrong decision? But working through that, thinking through that as a family, um, praying together that our thoughts would be centered on Christ. We use the verse so often, Philippians 4, 8. And I tell my daughter, I, I abbreviate a little bit, think on whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of a good report. That is what we want our minds to be centered on. That's what we want our thoughts to be centered on. Because when our thoughts are centered on those things, those things that are the very essence of who Christ is, we want to keep our minds stayed on Christ. If our, our minds are stayed on what our hearts are stayed on. So if my mind is stayed on Christ, my heart is stayed on Christ. But if my mind is stayed on anything other than Christ, that shows you right into what I have allowed to take the throne into my heart. And I need to show my children that. I need to teach them that. I need to model that. And we need together pray that God will be on the throne of all of our hearts and minds. And then the last one is, or the last couple, just to use corrective opportunities to point this out in real life. So our kids are going to mess up. They're going to require discipline. They're in this training stage of life. I want to help them now. As God is dealing with my heart so intently with some of these respectable sins, I want to help teach them to identify these things in their own heart. You know, it's more than just, you know, I lashed out at my sibling or I spoke disrespectfully or, you know, whatever the offense. But let's get down to the root. What was that pride? Was that rooted in an unthankful heart? You know, these, this is the root and this is what God says from his word. We need to address this because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the hands act. Out of the heart, the mind thinks. And really trying to use these opportunities to teach our kids to be able to work through this process of identifying the root sin in their heart so that they can correct it and forsake it. So that one day when mommy's not sitting on their bedside trying to work through, let's get down to the heart of the issue. What is the sin that we're really struggling with here? They'll be able to do that on their own. They'll be able to work through, okay, this this is the area that I'm struggling, and this is what God's word says, how I need to correct this in my life in accordance with his word and his way. And then I really think just the last thing is to live life in your home with a spirit of being Christ-centered. Just whether you just do that by how your family functions, but even verbally, verbalizing, you know, hey, we want to keep Christ the center of our home. And what that looks like for your family might be different than what that looks like for my family. You know, I've shared different episodes. I talked about being a Christ-centered family, some ways that we strive to do that within our home. But just living our life trying and, and you know that that means that Simeon and I individually have got to have God in his rightful place in our life and then that spills over into our marriage and then we have God in his rightful place in our marriage and as he's in his rightful place in our marriage that spills over into our parenting and into our children and 
I, our pastor always says, when God has his rightful place in your life, everything else will be in its proper place. And I think we need to live that and we need to model that for our children. And when we mess up, because we're going to mess up, there are so many times where I choose ungodliness over godliness. And when I do that, and not that I have to go and confess all my faults before my kids, but if I do that in a way that affects them or that I can use to teach them, you know, they, they're in our family. What the decisions that daddy and I make, though those are ours to make, the, what comes out of those decisions affects them too. And you know, hey, there might be a time where we have to go and be like, we did not make the right decision. Or, you know, maybe we made an okay decision, but we realize now we didn't give God the rightful place that he should have in the decision-making process in our hearts. And so I think just modeling it, really, and in all of these, I think the best thing that we can do in teaching the next generation is just trying to have this intimate relationship with the Lord, asking him to order our steps in his word, asking him to not let any iniquity have dominion over us, trying to live our lives in accordance with his word, and then to model that. And when we fail, ask forgiveness, forsake, turn, and then, you know, model. What what does it look like to restore fellowship with God, to restore fellowship with others when we mess up? And what does it look like to live a life according to godliness, to give godly counsel, to have God preeminent in our in our choices, in our life, in our thinking, in our actions? Um, so that is the culmination of what God has been showing me through my study of the respectable sin of ungodliness. So I pray that God will work in your heart like he has mine. It has not been easy. Um, it has presented quite a bit of conviction, but it's good. It's good. It's something that I need to happen in my life if I want to continue to grow in my intimacy and in my relationship with the Lord. And I do desire that. I want to pant after him as the deer panteth after the water. And if there's anything in the way of that, it, it needs to go out. It needs to get out of my life. And so that's what I pray that this study will do for you as we work through this together. So let me close this episode in prayer, and I will look forward to joining you ladies next week. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your word, that we can know your way, and that you have made a way that we can victoriously walk in it. I pray that you will illumine the sin of ungodliness in my heart and in the heart of each listener. Lord, empower us with your Holy Spirit's power to turn away from those sins, to forsake them, and to live a life that is godly, to live a life that is completely consumed and and wrapped in you and who you are. Lord, I pray that you and your word and your character will just infiltrate into every aspect of our life, of our relationships, of our families, and that we will just be able to model a life of Christ-likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that this episode has brought much glory to Christ, encouraged your heart, and strengthened you to be the wife and mother that God has created you to be. Thanks for listening.